Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. Good morning, Abundant Life Church. My name is Aaron Walton. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, I'm incredibly honored and thankful to have the opportunity to speak with you today. Over the last several weeks, we've been walking through a message series called Jesus Speaks, an opportunity for us as a church to look at the book of Revelation, specifically chapters two and three, where Jesus speaks directly to seven churches and offers them a word of encouragement or a word of correction as the church is experiencing a time of extreme and intense persecution. But as usual, let me start our time today asking you a random question. What is the best advice or the greatest words of wisdom you have ever received? Take a second and think back throughout your many years and recall the time that someone said something profound to you, something why, something that could have or did impact your life in a great way. Now, I've received a lot of wisdom over my years, some that I listened to, some that I did not, but I want to bestow upon you three of the greatest words of wisdom that I think could ever be shared. The first one comes from my time in college. I went to Warner Pacific College, which is a small Christian liberal arts uh, college in Portland. Here is a picture that kind of represents my college experience. Can anybody guess which one I am in this picture? I'm not the gorilla. Nice try. I know. Got you, got you confused. Uh, I'm actually the one with the W on my chest right there. That's me. Um, I had an amazing time in college. So much fun. Some of the best years of my life. And the thing that I studied in college was religion and Christian ministries. And because I just felt the call uh, that God had placed in my life to um, be a pastor, to be in the ministry. And as part of that uh, department, every sophomore year, um, for the students, they would sit down and have a meeting with their professors. Basically, the professors wanted to ask the question, where do you feel like God is leading you? Where do you feel like God is calling you to in ministry? And so I remember preparing for this meeting and going, I got this all figured out. I'm going to wow my professors because I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was going to be a youth pastor for the rest of my life. So I walked into that meeting. I kicked the door in. I looked at my professors. I started pointing. I started just yelling. I'm saying, I am called to be a youth pastor and there's nothing you can do about it, you know? And they were like, whoa, buddy, just relax. Calm down. We're just having a conversation. And I remember in that conversation, one of my professors with uh, a lot of love and a lot of respect basically said this to me. He said, Aaron, your calling is not to be a youth pastor. Your calling is to be a servant of God. Now, he wasn't trying to say I shouldn't be a youth pastor. He wasn't like diminishing what the youth pastor role is. What he was trying to say to me in that moment was your first and foremost call is to serve God, is to build his kingdom, is to allow your life to be a living sacrifice. And that can look a lot of different ways. You could be a youth pastor for a time and then you might do something else if God leads you somewhere else to do something. And so do not put yourself in a box saying that's the only thing God's going to call you to do. And I have listened to that advice. I have remembered that advice. And it's one of the reasons why I'm even standing in front of you today. Second words of advice that I would give you 
comes from a bit odd of a source, uh, but you guys know that I'm a big movie person, so I love movies. They're really big in my life. Uh, I've been impacted by movies because there are lines in movies that sometimes just kind of stick with you. And so the line that I want to give you from this movie that I consider to be great advice comes from a movie. Maybe you probably have not have seen it. It's a little underrated. Anybody in this room ever see the movie Galaxy Quest? Anybody out there? Here's a picture. This is a great movie, okay? Just an absolute amazing movie. It's kind of like a spoof on the whole Star Trek kind of world thing. And so the great line from this movie uh, said by the main character, Jason Naismith, who was played by Tim Allen, he says, never give up and never surrender. Let's all say that together, shall we? Never give up and never surrender. Good job, guys. That was awesome. Well done. These are words that have stuck with me ever since I first heard them because I have been the kind of person, especially when I was younger, I tended to give up when things got tough, when things got difficult and challenging. I was one to first say, I don't want to do this anymore because this is too hard. And these words have stuck with me ever since. And I'm going to come back to those later on in my message. And the third words of wisdom, the third third greatest words of advice that I could give you is going to come from a very another odd source, and I'm going to do something that pastors should never do. I'm going to quote myself in this message, okay? This is kind of weird, but here are my greatest words of wisdom to you. Please heed my advice. It could save your life someday, but these are the words that I live by more than anything else, and it is this, wear sunscreen, okay? A sunburn is 100% preventable, okay? And if you do not believe me, if you do not believe me, here are some pictures to prove my point that I want you to avoid this, okay? I love you too much. I don't want you to experience this. So please, as you go out today into this world and you see that scary thing known as a sun, wear sunscreen. Okay, take those pictures away. I've lost the crowd. Okay. Here's what I want us to do as we go through this message series, let alone as we go through the message today. I want, to, uh, I want to encourage you to read this letter that we're going to look at, the letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Smyrna as a, a letter written directly to you, offering you the greatest words of wisdom, the greatest advice, and the greatest truth that I believe if you choose to accept it, If you accept the words of Jesus, I believe it will not only help you navigate through the challenges of being a follower of Jesus in a very hostile world, but it will also continually help you keep Jesus at the center of your life and that you will never allow Jesus to lose his spot of being the king of your life. So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2, we're only going to look at a few verses as we look at one of the letters that Jesus wrote to one of the churches, the church in Smyrna, which is present day Izmir, a city in Turkey. Um, before we dive in too much, I want to give you a little bit of a history or a little bit of a breakdown of the, of the city, of the church uh, in, this, in this town. Smyrna was a very famous city known for its beauty, its fine wines, its wealth. It was second only to Ephesus, which was a very famous city in the New Testament, it boasted that Homer, not Simpson, but the author of the Iliad and the Odyssey was actually born in this town, and it was a city that was deeply loyal to the Roman Empire, which meant that the city was fully engulfed 
in the values and the perspectives and the culture of the Roman Empire, it was basically considered one of the most prosperous and elegant cities of its time. Quick side note, you guys know what is considered the three most beautiful cities in the United States are? Anybody want to guess what the three most beautiful cities in the United States are? I'm going to give you a top three, okay, and see if you agree with it. Number one, Charleston, South Carolina. Anybody ever been there? I've never. I've seen pictures. It looks beautiful, but a little too hot for me, I'm guessing. Number two, Savannah, Georgia. Anybody ever been there? Okay, beautiful. I've heard, again, a little too hot. The third one, I do not agree with, but if this is your hometown, forgive me, but the third most beautiful city in all of US of A, according to this study, Seattle, Washington. Isn't that weird? I heard an eel over here. (laughs) You know, in my opinion, in my opinion, there is a city that was left off of this list, and it should be top 10, if not top five. Happy Valley, Oregon. Am I right? And it's not because of anything, it's because of you people, okay? You people make this town beautiful. And just to let you know, there was a city that was not mentioned on this list, didn't even make the top 1,000, Canby, Oregon, okay? Just to let you know. (laughs) Now, the words that Jesus speaks in this letter to the church in Smyrna are not a correction. A lot of the other churches in the book of Revelation, a lot of these other churches are actually receiving words of correction, of like, you're doing something wrong, you need to change your ways. But this specific church is actually receiving a letter of kind of celebration of their faith and an encouragement as they're experiencing difficult challenges. You see, the church in Smyrna were a body of believers who did two things really well. Number one, they did not deny their faith in Jesus Christ despite the challenges that they were facing and they were a community that did not compromise to the surrounding culture despite the pressure, the difficulties and the challenges and the persecution that they were facing from two different groups. One, the Roman Empire and the Jewish community that was also present in the church and in the city of Smyrna. Two groups that they were actually like partnering with to try to break the church, to try to discourage them, to try to allow this church not to flourish and grow because the Roman Empire did not like what was happening. They did not like that the allegiance of this group was not towards Rome and towards Caesar. And the Jewish population obviously did not like them because they believed in Jesus and the Jewish community did not. Now, does anyone in this room think that maybe the message to this church might be relevant for us today. Like there might be some significance in this letter as we look at the time that we're living in right now, as we live in a time in a, in a season, I believe that there is pressure, there is persecution, there is a tax for people, for the church to deny Jesus and to allow ourselves to be compromised by the surrounding culture. And so what I see here in the book of Revelation, these few verses, I believe not only were relevant and powerful for the church of Smyrna, but I believe it's powerful for us today. So Revelations chapter two, let's look at verse eight. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from one who is first and the last, who was dead, but is now Alive. Now, each letter that Jesus writes to these churches, he gives kind of a unique introduction to himself, trying his best to communicate some measure of truth, some measure of who he is to this community, hopefully 
to help them navigate through their challenges and their difficulties. So let's look at him real quick. The first thing that he says about himself is what? That he was the first and the last. Now, sometimes we talk about this at church, and I think it might be confusing, but the idea is there was never a time, there was never a moment that Jesus was not present, that he is the origin and the culmination of all things. And, in, and really, in essence, what Jesus is saying, there is literally no equal to who he is. If you want more information about that, or if you want to research that more, Colossians chapter 1 or the Gospel of John chapter 1, both of them point to this idea that through Jesus, everything was created. And without him, none of this would be able to work. And that Jesus existed before everything was ever made, and he is supreme over all things. Now that all sounds nice, but what does that really mean? That is such an incredible truth that if we were to consider, I believe it would truly change the way we look at ourselves and that we look at our lives if we really believe that Jesus is supreme over everything. And the second thing that he says about himself is that he was dead but is now alive, alluding to what happened when he laid his life down on the cross and he was experiencing this horrific public execution through crucifixion, experienced the worst imagined suffering possible. And then what did Jesus do? He endured it. And then through his resurrections, he transformed this horrible pain, this horrible suffering, this horrible dark circumstance. He transformed it into living hope. The um, author William Barclay says it this way. The risen Christ has conquered the worst that life can do. He triumphs over pain and over death and offers us through himself the way to victorious living. I want you to just kind of hold on to that idea of victorious living. This idea that we can live victoriously because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of who he is. This is the way I would put it. The words of Jesus can redefine our reality and empower us to live with a heavenly perspective. If we truly believe these words that Jesus spoke are truth, And if we allow them to be a part of our lives, daily a part of our lives, then I believe that it will not only change the way that we look at this world, that we look at our our lives, that we look at the challenges that come, but we will also be empowered to live this life, to respond to its challenges with a heavenly perspective, to live with victorious living. We can interpret our present circumstances differently because of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, let me give you kind of a weird for example. Do you guys remember the words of wisdom, the second words of wisdom that I gave you this morning from the movie Galaxy Quest? It was? You guys are so good. I love that. These words have stuck with me all throughout my life, like I said, because I've had moments, I've had times where I've experienced challenges, I've experienced difficulties, I've wanted to give up, but I've remembered these words, never give up and never surrender, and no more so did those words come into full reality in my life than when I pursued my wife, Katie, okay? 
Let me tell you, okay, when I first met Katie and I tried to pursue just a friendship, just a, just a nice friendship with her, she wanted nothing to do with me, okay, folks? She rejected me over and over and over again. I remember she had started coming to the church uh, that I was working at, and so we had all went out for lunch, uh, just kind of hanging out, and so I, I saw her at a distance, and I said, huh, she looks kind of nice and friendly and cool, and I want to get to know her. So I, you know, maneuvered my way over during the lunch and tried to like, you know, sit next to her and be like, hey, Katie, what is that? And what's your name? Oh, hey, nice to see you. You know, and I was thinking, all I want to do is get to know her. All I want to do is have a conversation with her. And this is how the conversation went. I leaned over and I said, hey, uh, Katie, I'd love to get to know you. Where did you go to school? Where, 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 did, you, where did you study? You know, where, what, what college did you go to? And this is how she responded, church. Zero exaggeration, okay? She turned and looked at me like this. <sighs> and then she said, I went to University of Portland. And then she turned away. And I sat there like, oh, that was rough. Oh, that didn't work out. Okay. Whew. All right, that's fine. That's fine. No problem. That's okay. I can, I can rebound from this, okay? And so then... I mustered up a little bit more courage, and I said, ah, oh, University of Portland sounds like a, a great school. Uh, anyway, um, what do you do for a, a living? Where, where, did you, where do you work? You know, what is your occupation, right? And I promise you, church, I promise you, this is how she responded again to me. Literally no more than five seconds later, she went, oh, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. And then she turned away again. And I just went, all right, well, that was it. I gave my best shot. I'm done. I think she wants nothing to do with me. I remember she left, and I went up to some of my friends who knew her, and I said, what am I doing wrong? Why does Katie hate me? What is going on here? And I, at that moment, I said to myself, I should give up. I should just be done. She clearly wants nothing to do with me. But I remembered the great words of Galaxy Quest. <laughs> Never give up and never surrender. And look at us now, 14 years later, two kids, happily married on most days, you know, six out of seven days. So for those of you out there holding on by a thread, holding on, wanting to give up, I encourage you, don't give up. Do not surrender. Here's what I'm trying to get out. I really, truly believe that if you receive the words that Jesus is going to speak through this book, that he spoke to this church many, many years ago, I believe it will literally change your reality. It will change the circumstances of your life. It might not change them for the better all at once. It might not take you away from all the challenges, but it will empower you with truth in such a way that you can navigate through whatever this world throws you with victorious living. You can live with a heavenly perspective because you're allowing the words of Jesus to be ever present in your life. And so I want us to look at the words of Jesus and hold hopefully allow them to encourage us, especially if you're walking through a difficult season. Let's look at verse 9 and see what the challenges this church was facing. Revelations 2, verse 9. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say there are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. 
Now, we don't know all the details necessarily of what's going on in this church, but what we do know and what we can figure out, and based off of what some biblical scholars have written and some other writings, we know that this church, the Church of Smyrna, was experiencing intense persecution, more so than any of the other churches of its time. It was being just attacked on all sides. And the word that John uses when he says suffering here in the Greek was actually pointing to this idea that they were experiencing a burden that was crushing them, right? It wasn't just they were experiencing hard times. It was difficult. They were experiencing a burden that was literally crushing the heart and the soul of each and every one of those in the church. And one expression of this persecution or one expression of this burden was that they were poor. And the word that John uses when he says poverty is actually communicating complete destitution. That they were experiencing such poverty that they were having to then beg in order just to survive. And on top of that, the community around them, specifically the Jewish community, were harassing them, slandering them, and giving them public ridicule because they did not want the church to flourish. They did not want the church to survive. Anybody in this room ever been there, or are you still there? Are you walking through a time right now where you feel like the burdens that you're facing are crushing you? Like you feel the weight every single day. You wake up and you can just feel that sense of like, I don't know how I'm going to get through because all of the challenges, all of the difficulties are so heavy. Maybe you're walking through a time where finances have been difficult, which is just one of the most hard and difficult circumstances when you don't know how you're going to pay the bills tomorrow. You don't know what the future's going to hold. And so you find yourself not only in fear, but the reality of, am I going to be able to survive? Or have you ever felt this sense of attack because you love Jesus? You feel like the world's against you. You feel like your community or people in your work that you don't have a lot of the opportunities because you're following Jesus. And to that, I wanted to say this again. The words of Jesus can redefine our reality and empower us to live with a heavenly perspective. What does Jesus say to this church despite their severe poverty and their complete destitution? What does he say to them? You are rich. But what the heck does that mean? Because they clearly were not rich, at least by the standards of this world. What Jesus is trying to help them understand is even though they might not have all the riches, they might not have everything that the other people in the community have, they have a rich treasure that this world does not understand. They have a richness because of the relationship they have with the God of the universe, because Jesus Christ is dwelling inside of their heart, because they have the Holy Spirit anointing them every moment of every day. Their richness does not even compare to this world, and they are far richer than they even know. That is truth that literally will redefine the reality of this church. So let's continue to look at the words that Jesus speaks now as he really gives them some encouragement and gives them some words of wisdom, some great advice as they experience all of these challenges and these persecutions. Revelations 2, 10 through 11. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, 
I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Now, I really want to dive into this, and I know that this message, or at least this scripture, might not sound super encouraging. It might not sound like the best, but I believe that these words are exactly what the church and you and I need to be reminded of every single day. So here's three things I want you to consider as we look through the words here spoken to Smyrna. Number one, agreement with fear can lead to the rejection of truth. The very first thing, the very first encouragement that Jesus gives to this church is what? Do not be afraid. Because Jesus knows that fear is one of the greatest obstacles when it comes to our relationship with him, our relationship with God, and our walk of faith. Because Jesus knows that fear is one of the strongest weapons that the enemy uses to control us, to paralyze us, and to tear us apart. Anybody out there a little afraid of what's going on in the world right now? What's going on in our culture? The enemy knows this, and he uses this to manipulate us, to to try to control us, to try and paralyze us in our faith. I'm the kind of person who I've always struggled and wrestled with fear, and not always the big stuff. Sometimes I find myself being utterly consumed with fear of the small, insignificant things, right? Like, I'm the kind of person who always shows up at the airport four hours early because I'm terrified that we're going to miss our flight and it drives my wife crazy because we then sit there for three hours doing nothing and she looks at me and she says, we could be at home enjoying our life. And I said, yes, but we've never missed a flight, okay? We've never missed one. I'm the kind of person that when I go to Disneyland with my family, I'm terrified if I take one eye off them. If I look to the left, I'll look back and they're gone, right? They're lost in the sea and the chaos. And that's why I've asked Katie over and over again, can we please get the backpacks with the leash on them and stuff like that? We'll never lose them if they have the backpacks with the leash. And as Katie reminds me time and time again, our children are not pets, okay? And then I say back, well, then why do they act like pets all the time? I'm also the kind of person who's terrified that I left my door unlocked or I left my garage door open. Anybody else like that? Like, I will literally drive from Camby heading to Happy Valley. I'll get to Oregon City, and I'm like, oh, no. I left the door wide open. Why would I do that, you know? I left the garage open. Burglars have come in and stolen everything. And so I drive back only to find the door locked and the garage door shut and everything at peace. And I'm going, why? Why do I find myself being consumed by that fear? Here is the whole point of the book of Revelation. Here is the whole point of the study, what we're doing this summer, is that we need to never forget And always be reminded and hold on to with every fiber of our being that Jesus Christ is king. We need to say that. We need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. We need to be reminded that this great battle between good and evil has already been won because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And in fact, it wasn't even a battle to begin with, right? Like, it wasn't like, who's going to win? You know, like, what's going to happen? Jesus had this won before anything could take place. And his love and his sacrifice on the cross, what he did three days later, 
later when he rose again, he overcame this world by conquering death. This is truth that if we believe will literally shake and rattle and change our reality so that we do not live in fear. The church should never be consumed and paralyzed by fear of what's going on in this world because we have Jesus Christ. This is what he says in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Very first thing that Jesus wants to say to the church in Smyrna that I believe he wants to say to us, do not be afraid. This world is scary. Don't get me wrong. There are challenges and difficulties. We need to be aware of them. We need to be educated. We need to have an opinion, but we do not need to be victims of the fear of what's going on because we have a God. We have a Lord and Savior. We have Jesus Christ who is King. Second thing I want you to consider today is this. As followers of Jesus, we need to expect and brace for hardships. The church in Smyrna was a faithful community of people living out their lives as disciples of the kingdom of God. And it was because of that that they suffered. And it was because of their faithfulness that sadly they were going to continue to suffer. As the scripture says, some of them might be put into prison. Some of them might even experience death. See, what happens when we live out the story of Jesus, and we've been talking about this for a long time, when we choose the story of Jesus, when we say our allegiance and fidelity is to Jesus Christ alone, and we want to commit to his way of life, what ends up happening is we become a threat. We become a target for the enemy. And we need to be ready for that. And I wish I could say, you know, it's everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be fine. You're never going to experience challenges. But it's the sad reality, a hard truth that when we choose Jesus, the enemy wants to mess that up. He wants to discourage that. The enemy does not want a whole bunch of people living their life for his kingdom, for Jesus, for the Lord. And let us never forget this. This is kind of a side note, but I think this is important because sometimes even in this conversation I'm trying to have with you right now, I can maybe allude to something that I'm not trying to. The enemy in all of this is the enemy, okay? Satan, the devil. When we have conversations about what's going on in the world or what's going on in our culture, sometimes what happens is we breed something inside of us that looks at this world, looks at our culture, even looks at our neighbors, and we have this kind of contempt for them. There's a bitterness that can sometimes rise inside of our hearts because we don't like the way that they're living. We don't like the choices that they're making. We don't like the politics of what's happening on. Please understand The enemy is the enemy. And the enemy is working through those, but the people in our community, the people in our neighborhood, the people that we work with, they're not the enemy. They just haven't met Jesus yet. And it's the church's responsibility to take Jesus inside of our lives to go and share that love with that community. So when we have these conversations, do not forsake your responsibility as the church to represent Jesus Christ to those that have yet to meet him. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But that's what it means to follow Jesus. So do not give up on the people in your life. Do not give up. Do not vilify those on the outside. Remember that the enemy is the enemy. And don't be surprised when the hard times come, when the challenges come. 
if anything, allow that to be an opportunity for us to rally together as a church, to encourage each other and support each other. And the third thing I want to offer you, hopefully will help you, as you are not allowing ourselves to be consumed by fear, and as we're bracing for the challenges that will come, the third thing I want you to consider is this. The faithful are assured his presence and his promise. One of the reasons why I loved studying through this, um, I've never preached on Revelation before. I don't think this has been so helpful for me. And the beautiful reminder, especially in the time that we're living in, is the reminder that Jesus is with the church. That Jesus sees the suffering that the church is going through. And he is saying over and over and over again, you are not alone. I have not forgotten you and I am not abandoning you. And for those of you in this room who are experiencing that burden that is crushing, walking through difficult circumstances, or you feel afraid about being a follower of Jesus in a frequently hostile world, I say to you again, there is a God of the universe, his son Jesus Christ, and his Holy Spirit that is with you right now. Look at 1 Peter 5.10. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. I don't know about you folks, but I cannot imagine living this life without Jesus. I can't imagine trying to be a father to two little girls in a world that wants to Allow me to forfeit that role and and give other people the role of parenting my kids without Jesus constantly restoring me, supporting me, and strengthening me. I can't imagine being a husband in a world that's so perverted that would easily allow me to focus selfishly on myself instead of Jesus inside of me reminding me that my wife is important and I need to sacrifice myself for her and I need to become the man of God that she deserves. I can't imagine trying to follow Jesus in this world that's so difficult and challenging with so many voices and lies telling me how I should and should not be without his presence in my life every single day supporting me, strengthening me, and placing me on that firm foundation. And not only that, church, and this one might be hard to understand, we are given a promise, the promise of the crown of life. That for those of us who are faithful and can remain faithful even in the midst of challenging times, what is the great gift of following Jesus? An eternal life with him. That though we may suffer on this world, on this earth, in this time, there will be a time where there is no pain, there is no suffering, there are no more tears because we will forever be in paradise with him that we will experience a blessed eternity. And though we may die here on this earth, we will never experience, as the scripture says, that second death, because we will be given the crown of life, eternity with our God. So here's what I want us to do. And I don't know if this is gonna work, so bear with me. But I want us to end with a worship song. And the song is, It Is Well. And here's what I want us to do. I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to just stay seated for just the moment. And the worship team is going to lead us. And as the worship song 
goes and as the team leads us, I would encourage you, for those of you who believe in what we're about to sing, who believe in the words of Jesus, and you want to allow the words of Jesus, the truth of who Jesus is, that he is the first and the last, that he was dead, but he now he has rose again. If you truly believe that, as this worship song is being played, I'd invite you to stand up and allow the words of Jesus to change your reality, transform how we look at this life so that we may live with a heavenly perspective, that we can leave here today with the reminder that we can live victorious living because Jesus Christ is king, because Jesus has won, because he has overcome this world and he has conquered death. I want us to believe that today. And so what I want you to do is have a moment just between you and God. Solidify this moment for you today that you don't want to live in fear of what tomorrow may bring. You don't want to be a victim of your circumstances. You don't want the world to see the worst of us because sometimes when the church goes through hard times, sometimes we reflect the worst of ourselves that you want to be a constant reminder and reflection of the words of Jesus Christ that you want to have this moment today and simply say, profoundly say, though I don't know what tomorrow may bring, though I am terrified of what's going on, I can say today, it is well. Not because of what we can do, but because Jesus Christ is King. Lord, I thank you for this day, this moment, this time, this beautiful and amazing church. Bless our worship Bless this opportunity to respond to you. And Lord, let us be reminded that your truth, your son, Jesus Christ, can forever change our life. And Lord, let us today live with a heavenly perspective, with victorious living, and glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen.